0: Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Our text today is going to be Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 12. The world tries to get us to find our identity in what we do, in our political affiliations, or even maybe the color of our skin. We, we started talking about this last week that... Um, The world and maybe our own sinful hearts are prone to find our identity in, in lots of things. But what the Bible teaches us is that our identity is to be found in our relationship with Christ. And so last week we began a new sermon series called Our Identity in Christ. And as we kicked off that series by studying Genesis chapters 1 and 2... And from those chapters, we saw that every human being is created by God in his image. And because we are created in the image of God, we focused last week on three things that we knew to be true about our lives and the lives of every human being. Number one was my life was planned by God. In other words, I'm not an accident. God chose to give me life He also chose where I was born, the family to whom I was born, the gender that I was born with, right? All those things are not not random, are not mistakes, are not accidents. They are chosen by a sovereign and loving and wise God. God in his kindness and wisdom gave me life and created me the way he did. Secondly, we saw that my life is dependent on God because I am created by God I depend on him for my very life. He is the one who gave me life. He is the one who sustains my life. And so I'm dependent on him for every breath, every beating of my heart. And then certainly I'm dependent upon him for spiritual life as well. Salvation by grace through Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we saw that my life has purpose. I'm created by God to know him and to reflect his glory. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We're to image him. And so with that foundation in mind, today we want to move specifically into what the Bible says is true of us as Christians. And then we'll build on that each week, Lord willing. We'll consider a truth about our identity in Christ. We want to know I, I'm, I want us to study this because I want us to, to know from the scripture who we are in Christ so that we can live out those truths, so that we can be who we already are in Christ and th- thus be living for the glory of God. So this series is, to, is not to make much of us, it's to make much of God. Okay? So in Romans chapter 5, ver- we're going to look at verses 12 through Really, the rest of the, of the chapter. And the title of the sermon today is, I am united to Christ. I am united to Christ. That is foundational in understanding what a Christian is. The, the New Testament often describes Christians as being in Christ. Because our union with Christ is, is foundational to our salvation. It's also foundational to our Christian life, to living as a Christian Every other truth about our identity in Christ that we'll consider during this sermon series over the next several weeks is going to flow out of this glorious reality that we're considering today, and that is, I am united to Christ. Our union with Christ is the biblical truth that we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. And so today I want to share two aspects About that, two aspects entailed in the fact that we are united to Christ. So if you're taking notes, it'll be very simple. Number one, to be united to Christ means, both points will start that way. So you could say to be united with Christ means, number one, I am represented by Christ. To be united to Christ means, number one, I am represented by Christ. And that's what we see here in Romans five. Verses 12 and following. Romans 5.12 begins talking about the first man, Adam. And as the first human to ever live, Adam was our representative. And so if you want to use that same kind of language, we could say by nature we are all in Adam. And as we saw last week, Adam had the privilege of living in and caring for the Garden of Eden. Remember, that was one way he was to image God, was to, to, to be fruitful and multiply, to tend the garden, keep it. God gave Adam and, and, and also then in that Eve a command that he was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge. They were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Genesis 3 records that Adam and Eve disobeyed. They did, in fact, eat from that tree that they were told not to eat, and so they sinned against God. And Romans 5.12 then explains the results of Adam's sin. Remember, Adam is our representative. He is every human's representative by nature. So look with me at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So you see that? It says... A de- a sin came into the world through one man. That's Adam, right? That one man there is Adam. Sin came into the world through Adam. And with it, death spread to all men because all sinned. Look at how that verse ends. "Be all sinned. That's important. Because that verb there, uh, sinned, <laughs> the tense of it is called the aorist tense. Which means this verse is saying that people have sinned, all people have sinned at a particular moment in the past. So in other words, Romans 5.12 is not saying uh, all people are sinners, all people commit sin. It's not saying that. The Bible says that, right, in in Romans 3 and other places. But what Romans 5.12 is focusing on is all people have sinned at a particular moment in the past. That moment in time when Adam disobeyed God... The Bible says we all sinned at that time. You say, well, how can that be? I wasn't even around then, right? Well, it's because God appointed Adam as our head, or as we could say as our representative of the human race. That meant Adam stood for all humans. Every person would be accounted either just Or sinful on the basis of Adam's obedience or disobedience of God's command. Therefore, verse 12 explains that when Adam sinned by disobeying God in the Garden of Eden, we all then were counted sinners. It's as if we all sinned. Because Adam, our representative, sinned against God. And so that automatically meant we're all guilty before God. And so the Bible says, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And as we learn from, from Genesis, as we see throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, as we will see even in this passage, Adam's sin brought all kinds of consequences. Most notably, death. All right, that's what God had warned Adam about. On the day you eat of that, the tree, you will surely die. Humans were originally created to live forever in perfect fellowship with God. But the wages of sin is death. And the day Adam sinned, he did die spiritually. He was separated from God. And he hid from God and was eventually kicked out of the garden. And his sin also resulted in physical death. God was merciful in that he didn't strike him dead right in that moment. But Adam started to die physically. His body began the process of dying. He began to age. He he began getting sick, and and eventually he did die because the punishment for sin is death. And it wasn't just Adam who died. Because all are counted guilty in Adam, verse 12 says, death spread to all men. In other words, death spread to all mankind. And again, that originally was not how God created uh, humans to be. But once Adam sinned, Now death has entered into the world. And now all have sinned and all die. Verses 13 and 14 elaborate on this. Look at 13 with me. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So what those verses are saying is, Even before there was the the law, the Mosaic law, the the law God gave through Moses, even before that, people were dying. (laughs) Ever since Adam sinned, people have been dying. Verse 14 describes it as death reigning. And so the fact that people were dying just proves that God has judged everyone guilty in Adam. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, What condemns us, what makes us subject to death is the fact that we have all sinned in Adam and that we are all held guilty of sin. Now I'm wondering how each person is reacting to that. Right? At, at first that may seem kind of unfair. But Romans 5 goes on to show this principle of representation, or you could say this principle of being uh, in union with your head is what paves the way for our salvation. Did you notice how verse 14 ended? How Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, see, he's going to introduce another representative in this passage. So let's look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. You say, free gift? What's he talking about there? Well, if you look down at verse 17, he explains that this is the free gift of righteousness, or we could just say this is the gift of salvation. And in the following verses, the free gift of righteousness will be contrasted with Adam's sin. And so what the text is doing is it's, it's describing two camps. Because verse 15 goes on to introduce this second representative. And, and now is going to contrast that second representative with Adam. And of course that second representative is the man, Jesus Christ. Look with me at the rest of verse 15. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So, like Adam, Jesus Christ became the representative of a large group of people. In fact, if you look in another New Testament passage, 1 Corinthians 15, it calls Christ the second Adam. Just like Adam, Christ's action, just like Adam, Christ is representative. And so therefore, just like Adam, Christ's actions are going to result in consequences of all those for whom He represents. Or we could say, consequences for all those who are united to him. So look with me then at verse 16, because verse 16 contrasts the results brought by remember we're talking about two camps. Adam and Christ. And so what verse 16 is going to start doing is contrasting the results that each representative brought to their respective camps. Okay? Verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, right? Adam. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, being declared guilty. But the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification, being declared righteous. For if because of one man's trespass, verse 17, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So again, we're talking about two camps. We're talking about two camps. results to consequences and you look at Adam's consequences and you have to say those were powerful those were destructive to all those he represented but again who does he represent (laughs) every single person who's born right And look at how powerful and destructive those results are. Now every person is born with a sin nature. Now every person is born separated from God. Now every person is born in a body that's going to die. And if they die, then still in their sins, they'll be separated from God forever in, in judgment. So yes, Adam's consequences were powerful. They were destructive to all those he represented. But what's beautiful about this contrast is he's saying, as powerful and destructive as Adam's consequences are, how much more powerful and glorious are the consequences that Christ brings to those he represents. Adam brought death, but Christ brings life. I mean, if you just, and and, you know, I had the benefit of having the time to do this this week. You just look at those, those verses and you just start, you know, listing the things out, you know, what, what did Adam bring? What did Christ bring? You know, you see, Adam brought death, whereas Christ brought life. Adam brought judgment and condemnation. Christ brought justification and righteousness. Adam's one sin brought many trespasses, right? It's like it ballooned or, or exploded into all these sinners, <laughs> all these people committing sins, Right? Because now every person is born a sinner. But then the gift that comes through Christ brings this explosion of grace to cover and forgive and recreate. (laughs) Now verses 18 and 19 describe how Christ brought such wonderful results to his people, right? It's like we've already kind of Gotten a sneak peek at the results. Well, how did this happen? How was we 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 know Adam's story, right? We know how he brought these results. He sinned against God, and he was our representative. Well, how did Christ bring such glorious results? How did he bring such results for good forgiveness and, and, and justification and righteousness and salvation? Well, verses 18 and 19 tell us. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's sin, led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness, talking about Christ's life and death, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And we'll just finish off the the, the chapter. Now the law came in to increase the trespass Right, because he was talking about this was all happening even before Moses got the law. Now that the law comes in, that just, that just <laughs> exasperates how, how sinful we are. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Don't you love that? Grace abounded all the more, even though this was so destructive, and, and so devastating and, and in that sense powerful, Christ's work of restoration is even more powerful. Christ's grace abounds even more. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through Jesus Christ leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What are we sing? All I know is grace. I'd rather live under the reign of grace, wouldn't you? Than the reign of death. Whereas Adam, again, continuing this contrast. Whereas Adam sinned by disobeying God, Jesus obeyed God the Father perfectly. Right? What did Jesus do? Well, for one, he left the glories of heaven and he became a man. And then as that man, he lived a sinless life as a man under God's law. And Jesus obeyed the Father's plan for his life by willingly dying on the cross as a substitute for his people. Remember what Philippians 2 says, he became obedient even to death on a cross. So he was obedient all the way up to the end. And his, his final act of obedience was being that uh, suffering and dying in the place of sinners like us. And so again, this passage just looks at that as as one great act of obedience. Christ's life and death here is, is spoken of as one great cumulative act of obedience. And this one great act of obedience brings eternal life and righteousness to all who are united to Christ through faith. Because we know his, his, his act of obedience, that even being obedient to the point of death, he died. And three days later, he rose again. Showing that he uh, brought salvation and would bring resurrection to all who are united to him. So, we see such a clear contrast, don't we? Adam's disobedience brought judgment and death to all whom he represented. Or we could say, Adam's disobedience brings sin and death to all who are re- represented by him, which again is everyone by nature. Christ's obedience brings righteousness and eternal life to all who are repre- to all those he represents. And you say, "Well, who's that?" It's to all those who have believed in his name. Just as our union with Adam brought condemnation and death, all who are united to Christ by faith, through faith, by God's grace, are given justification and eternal life. God declares us righteous on the grounds of Christ's perfect obedience imputed to us. So again, it's a matter of representation. Being in Adam brings us death, but being in Christ gives us life. Being represented by Adam makes you guilty and headed for judgment, but being represented by Christ means that God saves you by his grace. So, who represents you makes all the difference in the world. Who represents you matters for eternity And so the the question we have to ask ourselves at this point, right, having laid out the two camps, is which camp are you in? Or to say it in this language, who is representing you right now? None of us choose Adam. We're all born with Adam already as the default representative. But by God's grace, have you placed your faith in Christ? Is Christ now your representative? Again, the Bible says, by nature, we're sinners in need of a Savior. But the Bible, the good news of the gospel is that Savior has come. And if you turn from your sins and by faith embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, then Christ will become your representative You'll be united to Christ through faith. You'll be represented by Christ before Almighty God. You'll be given all the blessings that Christ, that are really Christ's, that he's secured, those will be given to you. Because of Christ, because of his life, death, and resurrection. With Christ as your representative, his suffering and death on the cross will pay for your sins. His suffering and death on the cross will satisfy and turn away God's wrath that you deserve. With Christ as your representative, his perfect obedience and his marvelous inheritance of of resurrection, life, and eternal glory, all of that will be given to you if he's your representative, if you're united to him. So I ask again, because it's so important do you have Christ as your representative? Are you united to Christ through faith? Have you personally turned, personally, have you turned from your sins and trusted in Christ alone for your forgiveness? Recognizing he's Savior and Lord. That's how you're united to Christ and I urge you to do that today if you've not done that. And if you have any questions about that, please come see me afterwards. I'd love to pray with you and and talk with you more about that. So that's our first truth, our first aspect we want to take note of today. To be united to Christ means I'm represented by Christ. Secondly then, and, and more briefly, to be united to Christ means I share in the life of Christ. And for that, please turn to John chapter 15, the passage that was read for us earlier. John chapter 15. We'll just, for now, we'll just consider verses 1 through 5. To be united to Christ means I share in the life of Christ. This is a glorious truth that I pray that we'll we'll understand today. Let's again... I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Right? Very clear picture here. Especially to them who, you know, were probably looking at a a grapevine at the time. Jesus is the vine and his followers, we could say Christians, disciples, they're the branches, right? And so the the, the truth is, that's so clearly being taught here, is, well, the vine is the source of life. The vine is what gives life to the branches. Life-giving sap flows from the vine to the branches, and that's what enables the branches, then, to be alive and to, and to bear fruit, right? And so Jesus is that vine. He is the only source of life. He is the only source of spiritual life, of new life, of eternal life. And again, because of Adam, because we're all born dead, uh, we're all born as sinners, we're all, the Bible says we're also all born dead in our sins. We're all born without spiritual life. And so we need new life. And because of uh, Christ's life and, and death and resurrection, all who are united to him through faith are, like we said, forgiven of their sins, and they're given that new life. It's like you're grafted into Christ, And now his life is flowing to you and through you. And so continuing with that picture, just as the branch shares in the life and nourishment of the vine, this tells us something important about our Christian life. As believers, we share in the life of Christ. Because now the Spirit of Christ is in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Remember, God exists in Father, Son, and Spirit. God the Son became a man, lived, died, rose again in a glorified body. So Jesus, in his glorified body, is now at the Father's right hand. Because 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended to the the Father's right hand where he's reigning. He's going to come again in bodily form. But that's where Jesus is right now. But... Remember, he said, it'll be better for you. He, told, he was telling his disciples in the chapter right before this, John 14, it'll be better for you if I go away, because then I'll send the Spirit. And that's exactly what he did. He did what he promised, right? The, the risen and exalted Christ in Acts 2 sent his Spirit to his people, to believers. And so now, so now every person whom God saves, every person who's united to Christ, is given the Holy Spirit And so, through this indwelling Spirit, Christ dwells in us. New Testament teaches this several places. The Holy Spirit then, for one, gives us the new birth initially, right? But then continually, the Holy Spirit imparts to us the, we could call it the spiritual vitality of Christ. His life, His nourishment, His strength and grace flowing into us. Enabling us to live the Christian life. And so I hope this helps us understand the picture of, of our union with Christ. We have a vital living relationship with Christ. Yes, Jesus is our representative, praise God. But Jesus is not just some distant representative, kind of like we think of our Congre- congressman or woman, right? Yeah, they represent me. They don't even really know me, right? No, Jesus is not like that. Jesus knows us intimately. Jesus is near us. So near, in fact, he lives in us by his spirit. So he is our representative, and he's also our source of life. We have a living, intimate union with Christ. Union with Christ is not just judicial. It is that, praise God, but it is also relational. Union with Christ means we are with Christ. Christ has drawn us near, so let us not be distant from him. Let us be near. Let us abide in Christ. We have the privilege of fellowshipping with Christ every day, abiding in in his love, having his words abide in us. And like the passage said, as we enjoy this living relationship with Christ, his life will bear fruit in us to the glory of God. His spirit will transform us more into the likeness of Christ because why? Again, it is the very life of Christ flowing through us. I want you to jot down one more verse. Galatians 2.20 What an important verse that You can just meditate on for a long time, chew over and and study it and think about it and all the implications here. But it teaches this important truth. Let me read it for you. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Wow. What a, what a powerful verse to explain our relationship with, with Christ, to explain the Christ, what it looks like to be a Christian, right? By God's grace, he's given us faith and having exercised that faith to believe in Christ, to be united to Christ, now that verse says we also daily live by faith to continue to draw upon the life and nourishment that comes from Christ through our living union with him. So it's not just like, okay, thanks for representing me, Christ, and you know, I'll see you in heaven. (laughs) No, no, no. It's Wow, now I'm united to you. You are in me, I am in you, and I need your life to be lived through me in an ever-increasing way. And that's where, you know, again, this is all dependent on God's grace, but we, are to, we have a responsibility here, right? To walk in the Spirit. We, we by faith must exercise our minds and our wills. We must by faith feast on the words of Christ. We must draw strength and life from him. We are, to, we are in Christ and he is in us by his spirit. And so we are to have this vital, ongoing relationship with him. So I close by just encouraging us. Let us Live each day by faith depending on Christ to live through us for his glory. So you see, this is not just a, I'm going to, the Christian life is not just, I'm going to go out there and my uh, pull myself up by my own bootstraps kind of thing. It's no, it's, it's saying, Christ, I need you. And so I'm, I'm going to hunker down and, and root, dig my roots down deep in you. Because that's who I really need. It's your life that I desperately need. Jesus, I need your word to feed my soul. Jesus, I need your love to flow through me for my family, for my coworkers, for even those that I might consider my enemies. Jesus, I need your compassion for the lost. Jesus, I need your strength to die to self and to serve those around me. Jesus, I need your grace to flee temptation and pursue holiness. So I kind of have three just closing applications, and that was the first one. Let us live each day by faith depending on Christ to live through us for his glory. Secondly, then, let us live in peace and assurance knowing that Christ is our representative And let us always rejoice in that truth so we know that we're forgiven when we do fall short. We know we're forgiven when we continue to struggle with sin. We know that we're accepted and loved by God. So let us live in that peace and assurance knowing that Christ is our representative. And then finally, let us live in joyful fellowship with Christ with whom we share this living, eternal union. Again, I was just reminded this week of that really kind of simple but yet profound truth. Christ is in us. How often should we be thinking about Jesus? Again, Jesus is not someone who should be kept distant. We've been united to him. (laughs) You know, and so whether you think of, you know, being in a, in a yoke with somebody, which Jesus does use that picture at one point in his teaching, right? Or, or whether you think about Jesus being in us and us in him, think how close that relationship is to be. And so, by God's grace, let us live in joyful fellowship with Christ, with whom we share this living and eternal union. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not leaving us in our sin. Thank you for not leaving us in, uh, hopeless in the camp of Adam. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our representative. And Jesus, thank you for living and dying in our place. We know that, re- that required great humility, great perseverance, great f- trust in the Father on your part. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for coming to live inside us by your spirit. It's a truth that still boggles our minds. That the eternal, almighty, infinite God would come and and dwell in, in finite, sinful creatures like us. Please help us to live out our union with you. Help us by faith to fellowship with you and abide in you so that your life will be increasingly lived through us. We want the world to see more of you. We want the world to see more reflections of you in us and through us for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.